Today, we're getting to know Joel. Cal Fussman, host of Big Questions with Cal Fussman, is digging deep on all of his big lessons learned in business and in life. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, Joel, you are the right man at the right time because I am thinking about difficulties, obstacles, and a way to turn them into opportunities. As a bunch of stuff recently happened in my life that put me in this situation. And then I met you and you are Mr. Opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> through difficulties. And so I would like to know how you learned this philosophy. Did it come to you through a book? Did somebody tell you about it? Or was it just life experience? Oh, that's a deep one. Uh, (laughs) I think it's a little bit of everything. I don't think that there's a way to get through difficulty and find opportunity without just doing it. Like, I think you just have to deal with the difficult situations because when you're in them, it's very much like a sink or swim. You can either let it pull you down into the depths of nothingness or you can make the decision to do something about it. My first experience with finding ways to do something about it definitely led me to like the personal development type world. I had dismissed it many times before, but something about it this time around, like my second or third time having difficult moments, I thought to myself, you know, let's just revisit everything, first principles and and anything that I've been ignoring, any solutions I haven't tried, whether I think they're stupid or not, let's give them a try. And I tried the personal development stuff and that definitely put me on the right path. But this happened to you when you're a kid that yeah. started. Yeah. So I'm talking, I kind of figured stuff out a little bit more in my 20s. But the first big difficult situation, uh, I guess I got hit by a car when I was 11 years old. And then I was in a wheelchair for about a year. And about 70% of the way through my recovery, uh, I fell <laughs> and had to start over. So it ended up. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, time, time, time out, time out, time out, time yeah. out. Time out. Oh, let's slow this down. We want to see yeah. it in the movie. What happened? Where were you? Yeah, it was January 20th. I don't remember the exact year, but I was 11. And it was a garage sale Saturday afternoon around 12 or 1. And all the kids were out. Everyone was out in the streets and the garage sale and everything. And a couple of us kids in the neighborhood had those little, you know, skateboard scooter things. And we were out and about. And and this lady came around the corner, maybe going like 30 miles an hour or so. And she wasn't speeding, but uh, she came around the corner and she was uh, looking down at her phone and she hit me. And I, my like left part of the body, like damaged her windshield. And then the right part of my body got sucked down under the, the tires. And then oh. I woke up. Yeah. I woke up to a, a, EMT person like chalking marking me. And I was, my first thought was like, oh my God, did I die? And they said, no, we chalk mark you because we're taking you to the ambulance before the police can get here because you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, oh, okay. And they needed to know like, you know, where I was and where the car was and everything like that. Oh, oh, let's slow this down (laughs) for Okay. So you are like crossing the street or something? No, I'm just on the side of the street. In the street though? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the street. 
Okay, it's not like you were on the sidewalk or anything and she hopped the curb. No, no, I was in the street. But she was in the, she came into the other lane. Like it's a neighborhood street, so it's not like there's lines on the lane, but I was very clearly like, you know, on the other side and she just was coming around. You know, you know, if you take a corner too wide, you end up in the other lane. That's what happened. She came around the corner too wide and I was in the other lane and she hit me. Now, how many years ago did this happen? Because I'm trying to even remember when people started driving with their cell phones. Yeah. So it was definitely earlier on, right? So whatever 34 minus 11 is. <laughs> All right. 23 years ago. Yeah. Two, year 2000. Mm. Yeah. Or almost 2000. Right around then. Yeah. All right. So you get hit, windshield, and uh-huh. sucked under. Yeah. So like she hit me on like the driver's side. And so I ripped her mirror off, like her side mirror off. The scooter went into the orange grove and landed in one of the orange trees on the other side of the fence. <laughs> and uh, then I went under and I, and the, their best guess is that the back tires ran over my uh, right leg. So. Ooh. Yep. All right. So your eyes open, mm-hmm. you see the chalk marks, you're wondering if mm-hmm. you're dead. No, no, you're not dead. Yeah. We're just taking you in. Could you get up at that point? No, my leg no. was completely just like gone. And, but the, the fun, the interesting part of that is when I woke up, there was like no pain. Like I didn't feel any pain at all. I definitely felt pain later, like, like about halfway to the hospital. But when I woke up, there wasn't any pain. And then my mom came running over. She was in a bathing suit uh, because she was sun tanning like outside. And, you know, we, we got into the back of the uh, they put me in the ambulance and then they, they took me to the hospital and then they needed to set the leg really quickly. So they didn't have time to like give me uh, painkillers or do anything like that. So they just had me bite down on like some cotton thing or whatever. And then they just set my leg like right there. And that's when I learned what maximum pain feels like. There's only so much pain that your body can like, you know, your, your body is a sensor, right? Like it can sense pain. Well, there's like a maximum to it and it's, and you can't go beyond the maximum. It's just like max pain. And that was definitely it. Did they tell you you're about to experience max pain? Mm-hmm. Did they give you any clue yeah. as to what it was going to feel like? Absolutely, they did. Yeah. Like, this is going to be really painful. I said, okay. And how long did it take? Oh, 30 seconds. Yeah. And when the 30 seconds ended, was there, ah, okay. No, it was, it was pain. I mean, like, well, like the, it was like a very sharp pain. Somebody, uh, one nurse describes it as like, um, like when you get like your, like a, like a severed nerve or something like that. I I believe I have a visual in my head right now for like in the room talking to me after that. Uh, You remember stuff around your painful moments (laughs) way more than other moments. But yeah, and then it was just, you know, pain. Uh, They gave me some painkillers and stuff that kicked in or 20 or 30 minutes. And then, you know, I was there and at the hospital for a little bit. And then they sent me home. So you go home and you're not going to be able to walk for how long? Uh, Well, I didn't know at the time, but it ended up being like about a year to a year and a half. Were you going around ambulating on crutches or wheelchair? What? Yeah, uh, both. So, you know, I had hurt both legs, but the right leg got hurt significantly more than the left leg. Um, so I was a lot of bed rest for a while. Left leg started to get, you know, doable enough for crutches on the house. But, you know, you're talking 
like two or three minutes at a time. And then, so I was in a wheel, I'd take a wheelchair like other places, like to school and stuff. And then eventually I stopped going to school. Now, what town is this? What city? This would be Osprey, Florida, which is like uh, near Venice, Florida. Okay. So you're at home now. Mm -hmm. Your life is radically different. Are you getting homeschooled? What's going on? Not a whole lot. Uh, they would they, at first it was just, uh, all the teachers sent notes and like, you know, nice things and stuff like that. And then, uh, so they gave me a big, I had a break for a while for like a couple of weeks. And then I started going to school with the wheelchair. I did that for like three weeks and it was just too much because kids would bump into me during class changes and stuff. And it would just be like insane amounts of pain. And wow. so, cause my leg had to be like actually up and extended out. It couldn't just be like sitting in the wheelchair down because it was cast, you know, everywhere. And so uh, that was... So hold it, yeah. you, like you had a, a cast from... Like your knee, the knee down. Okay. Yeah. What was the ex- exact description of the injury? How did how did the doctors describe it? Uh, I think it was like a compound break in the tibula and fibula. I'm not a medical person, but I believe that's what it was called. Okay, so you got this break. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go to school and... I guess at that point, it's like teachers sending homework. How, how are we going to figure this out? Yeah. But this is, and you told me a little about your story. And this is where you discovered your big opportunity. Yeah, in hindsight, it was a huge opportunity. But um, there was definitely a lot of things going on. You know, you're asking, you're kind of asking a lot of an 11-year-old to go through the discipline that it requires to rehabilitate yourself, you know? And so so basically they just described it. The doctor told me, he said, look, you can either have the legs of an 80-year-old woman like you have today, or you can get with this program and you can follow it and you can do it. And it's going to take a long time and it's going to be really difficult and it's going to be painful, but ultimately, you know, you'll be back to yourself. And so I just had to make the choice. Like, who did I want to be? And I was just like, well, I want to be back to myself. And that was probably like just an early first one uh, decision. All right. So you're at home. What do you decide to do to turn this discipline time into an opportunity? Or did you not, did you not even know it? You're just following your passion. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm playing video games. I'm a kid who doesn't have to go to school. (laughs) (laughs) And then I get, you know, I get bored of that. And, and then I, um, my, my dad had earlier on, he was a software and, and hardware engineer. So he had taught me some basic programming. So then I was like, yeah, you know what? After, you can only play so many video games. You have to do other stuff too. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, do some programming stuff, have fun. And I was actually programming to try to cheat at video games. Um, so that's how I kind of got into it a little bit more. And then I found out that you can make money programming online. And so I just... They didn't care that I was, you know, 11, 12 years old sitting at home in my bed. They, they wouldn't know. How, no. how would anybody know? You're just an email address. Yeah, you're just email address, just a username. And so I started, you know, doing a project here for $100 and then 500 and then I got better at it and then like several thousand dollars and I just kept making money. Um, and, and So what were you programming? It, so it's like odd jobs. So today we know it as like an Upwork type situation. But back then the thing I was using was called Script Lance. It's a it's a basically like a Fiverr Upwork type deal where you can do odd jobs. People say, I need this done for a hundred bucks. I need this done. Here's the details. And then you'd bid on it and then you have, you know, history and profile and stuff. So the 
better work you do, the more reputation you get, the bigger projects you can get. And how does that quickly advance? Do you do your skills get better very yeah. rapidly and all of a sudden you're in high demand? Yeah, yeah. So I did that a lot and then I ended up, you know, healing up. So well, I had the fall. So my sisters, um, I think this is the first time I share this publicly, but my sisters thought it would be funny to put um, like baby oil on the tile so I would slip on my crutches. You know, we're 12-year-old kids. So like you, what your <sighs> sense of funniness, that's that's why we can't vote. That's why we can't drink, right? Because you're kids. You don't have like a fully developed brain. Um, so I don't, I don't hold it against them at all. But they thought it'd be funny to, to watch me fall. So they put oil on the floor and they called me into the room and I come hobbling in the room and I slip and I fall and then I you know, re-break part of my leg and, and it just extends it farther. Um, so I was like... You know, I, I thought yeah. you were going to come up with a banana peel story <laughs> no, there. No, it's like oil, baby oil or lotion or something like that. Yeah. Were they screaming like it no. was urgent or... No, 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 just... They just called me in the living room. for you to come in. Hey, Joel, come in, come here. I was like, okay. And did they laugh when you went down? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was... I kind of laughed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was just laying there on the floor. I was like, oh, I've been here before. <laughs> and then what happened? It sounded like that pushed you back. Yeah, you know, doctor's appointment. Okay, well, you know, I had I got a doctor's appointment. I went and got checked. They did the x-rays or whatever they do. And they're like, okay, you know, it's going to extend the time. So they had like a date, you know, to get your cast off. And then they just extended that projected date. And, and I was like, okay, well, my exercises didn't change or anything like that. Okay, so and you're still programming, yeah, and you're still playing video games, making money, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how, like, are you turning into like an entrepreneur in this process, or like, are you starting to rake in money? What's going on? Yeah, so I started doing really well. Um, a couple things happen as far as timeline. We can piece them apart, but they're kind of blurry in my head. But a couple things happen around the same time. So, I end up going back to school. I'm making money and one day I'm sitting in in math class, the second week of 11th grade, I'm sitting in math class. This is probably about like two or three years after my accident. And the math teacher was also part-time tennis coach. And he decided that that day he was going to have us, you know, string the tennis rackets through a math problem thing. And I was like, you're just trying to get us to do your your work. <laughs> And he said something to like, don't talk back or something like that. And I looked at him and I said, I make more money than you. I don't know why I'm here. And I got up and I walked out of the classroom. (laughs) Oh man. Then what happened? Uh, I walked to the principal's office myself. I just got up, walked out of the classroom. The whole class was pretty much like slack jawed. Like what did this kid just say? (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, and I think there was some benefit to me doing these projects and like working with adults because I could kind of talk to adults in a different way because I got to work with them uh, through the internet and things like that. Whereas, you know, my peers in 11th grade, they're just hanging out with each other, you know? Um, So I guess I felt like a strange level of comfort. Also with all the doctors and everything like that, I've just been around a lot of adults, you know? And so I just walked over to the principal's office um, who I happened to know because he was my principal in middle school and and things like that. And so he he had transferred and I said, um, this school isn't right for me. And he goes, well, explain that to me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm making more money online than, you know, the teachers make. Because I was actually interested in becoming a cop. And then I Googled what the salaries were. And I was like, okay, well, this thing I really enjoy programming, I'm already making that much money. So I'm just going to stick with that. Like, what, what kind of money were you making? I'm making like sixty dollars to $80,000 a year. Pretty good for a junior in high school. Yeah. And 
at that point, could you see this going to 100, 200, 300, or is there like a ceiling to what you can do? So at the time, I was just really focused on, like, I was really, I was always sleeping in class. My grades just a horrible student because I would stay up all night and program and then I'd sleep in class. I'm like, why am I here? This is my sleeping time. It's like really ineffective because there's bright lights. <laughs> you know, I need higher quality sleep. And cause I, I like doing what I was doing. I was making money and I was like, that's great. And so, you know, I, I heard that I had a friend uh, named Caleb who was in homeschooled and he was actually in 11th grade and he was in college and he, cause there was like an early exit program for homeschool kids and I was like, Ooh. oh, so I found out from him because, you know, uh, that that existed. And so I, I told Jack, um, who was the, the assistant principal that I'm referring to, I said, uh, <laughs> You're on first name, yeah. hey, Jack, <laughs> time to hit the road. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. I was like, I was like, hey, Jack, uh, like I, my friend Caleb did this program and I want you to do this program. And he's like, so you, you want to leave school? And I said, yeah, because he was concerned about like, what am I going to be doing all day? Because, you know you don't want kids getting in trouble and being out of school and stuff like that. And I said, uh, he goes, well, he goes, here's the deal. He goes, if you can go around and get uh, three different companies to agree that they would hire you for greater than the average salary, you know, that these kids are making out of high school or, or whatever it may be as a, as an engineer without a college degree. See, like I, they couldn't even believe that you could get hired as an engineer without a college degree. Like it was so far from their minds. Like today it's ubiquitous. Everybody knows the story of like the kid who can program and everything like that, but it was not that case back then. And so they just couldn't believe that you could get a job as an engineer software engineer without college degree. And so I went around to three different development studios, like within the the area, and because uh, I could drive at this point in time, and I got letters from them saying that you know, provided I could have the following skill set, that they would hire me without a degree. And so I presented those to him, and my parents signed off on it, and they let me out of school early, and I went full time writing code during the day, and just got into a normal normal habit, and then hung out with friends that were in college after you know hours and things like that when I wasn't working. What, what did your parents do for a living? I mean, it sounds like they're pretty yeah. forward thinking. Uh, so my my mom and dad were married for 23 years. My dad was a software engineer and hardware engineer who got his training in the Air Force, putting um, GPS systems into stealth bombers. And then he came out of that and did odd jobs and freelanced. So I got to go around with him a lot and, and see different projects, like different types of technology. It wasn't always just going to dad's office, you know, it was always a different place. And uh, so I got a lot of early exposure to everything from lasers to golf carts and, and everything in between. And wow. yeah, and, and so I, I really, you know, liked that. So he would take me. Uh, and then right before the car accident, they got divorced. And then my mom remarried immediately to a, a guy named Joe. And then they divorced a year later and then I stayed with Joe till I was 18 and then went out on my own. So from like 16 to 18, 15 to 18, I was just living with uh, Joe and I had a great relationship with both my mom and my dad and Joe, my dad and Joe to this day. You know, yeah. another example of taking something that would have seemed to most families as a, could be a cataclysm, yeah. you know, the split up of the family, where the kids are going to go. And for you, it was, hey, Joe, this seems pretty good. Let's just work it out. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So there, there's obviously something going on in your mind where you're just looking around at the best possibility and not being shy to take it. Because some other people might have just said, I'm going to go back with my mom. Yeah, I just, I don't really think about it. Um, like you're saying kind things. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's cool in hindsight. But I, I just kind of, you know... I've gotten really good with just dealing with situations as they come to me. I'll give you an example. I got to talk to this guy. I uh, can't remember his name. He was one of the astronauts that was the first person to the space station on Elon Musk rocket, like the first rocket Musk had that carried humans. And he was a fantastic human being. He'd been to space three times. After he got back from the Musk mission, like six months later, he came on the show. I got to interview him. He was uh, an ER doctor, emergency room doctor. He would do the Bay flight type stuff. So you'd helicopter in to like war zones and like horrible situations and do trauma, you know, try to save the lives and triage and all that type of stuff. And uh, he told me, he goes, the best way to handle trauma, he goes, is you make your world really small. He goes, you only focus on the absolute next thing necessary and that's it. And that's how you deal with traumatic situations. That's how you do spacewalks. That's how you do, you know, helicoptering into war zones. It's like how you do all of that. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's something that I got lucky that I just happened to, I didn't sit down and like choose to do it. I just kind of through the accidents and through the early issues, I just got into this pattern of just dealing with like what's exactly in front of me. Okay. I got, I'm seeing how all this is getting built. And business is doing great. Yeah. Uh, and do, do you have like a high school graduation? Uh, no, no. No high school graduation. You're just Gone. booted upstairs. I took a test. They, it was an early exit program test. They gave me like six workbooks. They're just like, you have eight weeks to do this. I did them and like, they were not hard. I'm not saying that I'm smart. They were just, a fifth grader could have done them. Um, the bar was not high at all. And so, because <laughs> like, I told you, I, I wasn't a great student, but the bar was not high. And uh, and then, I, I you know, you get the, the, the degree and, and then they just mail it to you and you, you it's, it's a pass or fail, not graded exam. And then you pass and they, they mail you the degree and, and then that's it. And what are you thinking then? Like, do you have an idea where you want to go? Mm. Well, at the time, I, I think I wanted to make some like CMS system for magazines because I knew this person that owned a magazine and I was going to try to build a, a system to do that. Let me back up. CMO. Oh, like a, like a CMS, like a content management system for, for magazines. Okay. Yeah. So I knew how to build these systems and I knew magazines were going online and I knew someone that my sister rode horses with that... Um, it makes it sound like we're wealthy. We were not. But I knew someone that my sister rode horses with that owned this magazine and I was going to try to pitch it to them. And then while I was doing, you know, kind of working on that, I ended up, um, uh, because Joe and my mom were both real estate agents and while they were divorced, they still worked together at the same real estate office. And so I would kind of go there and hang out, you know, throughout the day and, and I had my little computer set up in the back and I'd do my projects and write code. And then a couple of realtors like had asked me, they said, Hey, can you, you know, do something, solve this problem? And they were complaining about it. I was like, yeah, I could solve that. And so I, you know, built some stuff, built some stuff. And then that went on for several months until someone approached me and wanted to buy it from me. I didn't know a lot about business, but I had 
read a book or seen something where they said, if they want to buy it from you, don't become business partners with them, right? Like don't let them buy it from you. Instead, become business partners so that instead of getting one check, you'll get like a much, you know, steadier check and it'll be real big when it sells. And so I just knew that little bit. And so I just said, no, I'm not going to sell it, but like we can do something together. And so I got to go and and we did that and um, and we built teams and teams of teams of engineers and took on you know clients and and then that grew and then I sold that. So you have your own business now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, real estate software. And how old are you now? When when this is happening? I know I'm getting old when things are fuzzy, but it was like uh, 1920 around there. All right. So things are moving along here, and what's the next? big event in this transformation? Well, one thing that kind of happened that's a separate storyline is I went from through this whole process of like getting hit by the car from 11 to from 11 to 21, I went from normal weight up to like close to 300 pounds, then back to normal weight. What? Because I, yeah, I got really depressed. Um, I got really depressed with the whole not being able to live my normal life and being in the wheelchair thing. So, and I was home all day. And my parents, they're, I said the best gift that they ever gave me was how uninvolved they were in my life. <laughs> I don't mean that like a sad way. Like they let me have a lot of autonomy in a, in a very good way. So I'm, I'm really grateful that everything worked out there. But yeah, I got really depressed for a while. You know? So does this mean you're like just driving over to Bojangles all the time? Or no, like- <laughs> no. I was ordering, uh, for some reason I lived on the second story with the broken leg at one point. We moved around a lot too. So it, I have this very vivid memory of the the Domino's guy walking <laughs> up my stairs and bringing it to my room. <laughs> because that's okay. that's what uh you know I that's what he would do. We got to know each other pretty well. I actually tried to start a business then too. Here's a funny story. So I tried to start a business because I was sick of eating Domino's every day and I was getting really fat and I was like I want Outback or I want Chili's or something. And at this time <laughs> I couldn't drive. I think I'm 13 or 14. And probably 13. And I I'm like all right, here's what I'm going to do. I just learned from somebody about the fact that you can put ads on a newspaper to hire people. I was like, okay. So I learned that fact and how much that costs is like 30 or 50 bucks or something. It's like, okay, cool. And then I learned that you can, you know, get a, a phone number and I had been writing software. So I knew how to do a website and I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put an ad and I'm going to ha- I'm going to call the phone company and have them come install a phone line, which they did. Right. So I paid them, they came and did it. And then I'm going to put an ad in the newspaper and I'm going to hire somebody to drive. And then I'm going to pay them to go get me stuff. And then I'll put a website up and I'll have other people, if they want like food, there must be other kids at home that want food too, because their parents are working during the day and they can't get food until their parents come home or whatever. And you can only get food from places that will deliver. And I was like, I want, you know, let's figure this out. And the reason why that didn't go forward was because the lady wouldn't let me post the job post because I sounded prepubescent. She thought it was a prank or a joke and she, she wouldn't let me make the purchase and put the ad in the newspaper. You needed somebody to call for you. I know, I know. So I just, but life just does what it does. And so at that same time, I just said, well, I'm already making money over here and, and I'll just keep doing this. And and so I did. And then I I started my own diet. So what did you, what did you get yourself down to? Salads and no, what else? I just ate normal amounts of food like and like not processed food. I had, so my friend Caleb was fit. He was really fit. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you around and eat whatever you eat. And he's like, okay. And so I just, I just did. And, um, life got a lot better, you know, 
All right, so you've figured out a way to turn the obstacle of obesity into an opportunity. Yeah. What was the next transformation? (laughs) The next one, so I make some money, I lose some money. You want me to say talk, talk about the financial guy, Robert, and that whole thing? I definitely would like to hear that story, yeah, because when you told me, I was just smitten with that story. Uh-huh. Because it sounds like you like developed an app or did something really great mm-hmm. that put you in the stratosphere yeah. and allowed you to buy a big house and a sports car and yeah. you live in the life. So what happened? Yeah. So it was a series of like four different real estate softwares that I built like back to back. Right. I got my first one and I figured out like business relationships, how they work. I started, I went to my first conference ever and I figured out like what, who professionals are and like how businesses operate. And so I did like several projects back to back that, you know, I roughly made over a million dollars, like netted, right? So I'm sitting there, you know, like, you know, 19, 21 ish, that age range, because they sold like sequentially over the course of two years, sort of like, it wasn't just all at once. And then I, you know, had the house, had the car. And I I met when I had like one of my first big transactions, my parents are like, it was, I think it was 4th of July or something. They're like, we want you to come up for 4th of July. And I was like, okay, cool. And they were on the beach and they had their friend, Robert, um, with them. And Robert was a finance or he, well, he was, he sold his business, like, but he was a financial advisor and he had a financial advisory practice. And he said, Hey, you know, you just got some money. Let me tell you how to do like tax strategies. Why don't you come in? And I was, you know, arrogant and young. And I was like, I know how to make money. I made the money and I know how to, you know, do this and I can always make more money and I can always sell more projects and things like that. So I was like, I'm good. Thanks. I don't want to give, I don't want to pay somebody to manage my money. Like I, I can manage my money. Uh, oh, turns man. out. Uh, <laughs> All right. Two years later, um, I'm broke. Uh, maybe three years. How later. did that happen? Because you're like, you're on a roll. You're, you're getting work and you're developing. How did you all of a sudden go broke? Well, so I got lucky the first time building those softwares because I was around the people who were having the problems. And the second time I really screwed up because I just built something that I thought would be great. Without knowing the tr- the problems. That, oh, Yeah. Wow. I was like, I'll just build something that's going to be great that I know people need. And I didn't involve people. And I, that's how I learned a lot about making product. Like I had just happened into it and got lucky on the first time. Then I learned an expensive lesson the second time. The first time you were solving problems, the mm. second time you were creating content. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. Creating space on the hard disk that would be expensive and non-usable. Yeah. That content that you loved. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. So, okay. So you run through all the money mm-hmm. that yeah. you had earned in mm-hmm. this process. Yeah. And as you're seeing it slip away, are you getting nervous? I'm an optimist <laughs> to a fault. Uh, I, I've learned how to <laughs> how to manage that a bit. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't I would I wouldn't uh, blame a, an 18 year old who's, you know, frontal cortex isn't fully developed, uh, who's been given a lot of money and who's had a lot of interesting opportunity come his way. You know, I, I see that and I'm like, yeah, I kind of get it. You know, it's really easy to go to your head for adults in life, you know, and adults do really well. Come on, it's even easier for the kids, you know. All right. So the money's starting to slip through your fingers. Yeah. 
you're seeing that this product you developed is, has no application yeah. uh, to anybody. And how low does it go? Oh, yeah. So it goes to zero. So it was a sad fall over the course of, you know, at least the, the last nine, 10 months was like pretty sad. Uh, but I was like, you know, positive attitude and making it happen and trying to figure it out and, you know, slowly, you know, just cut down all the expenses that I could. I still had the house in the car, but cut down everything. How big was the house? Uh, it wasn't crazy big. It was like, you know, two, 3,000 square feet. And it was really nice. Like I, I had paid and built it. Like I didn't just um, buy an existing house. So oh, so you had built your own place, yeah. customized mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And uh, and then, uh, what kind of car did you buy? Uh, at the time, I was very excited. It was a three seventy Z, and it was it was a pretty pretty awesome car at the time. So okay. So you got your dream car. Yeah. House that you built. Yeah. And now you're out of cash. Uh-huh. And the, the, what happens next? Yeah, the night. I, I refer to it as like the, the night. The night. There was one very specific night. Uh, I'll set it up for you. I'm in the house. There is no electric because electric company uh, shut it off because I didn't pay the bill. Uh, I am basically in foreclosure, right? At the time, actually, was was very in foreclosure. I had a foreclosure attorney and everything. And um, so I'm in foreclosure, electricity goes out in the master bedroom closet uh, on the floor with my dog, my dog, Ted. And, uh, you know, just brought my comforter in there. And I wanted to be sort of like, you know, in a, in a smaller space because there was a repo man like running around, banging on my windows and my doors. So that, that was something. But luckily it was kind of cool because my neighbors like wouldn't give them any information. I was like, that's kind of nice of them because I didn't even really talk to my neighbor. So it was just like, I was like, oh, that's community. That was one of the first times I saw community. I was like, oh, there's community. That's kind of cool. So yeah. And, and so I'm sitting there banging on the door and I, I have enough, you know, I think I had five or seven dollars or whatever of cash in my pocket. And I was watching that cash like dwindle, right? Because I knew there, I, I'm going to try, I'm going to swing, I'm going to do everything I can until like the very last penny to turn it around uh, specifically because, you know, my parents and everybody were really proud of me. They would tell all their friends at you know, holiday parties and events and all of that, about, you know, how successful so their son was. That was the big problem. You couldn't admit yeah. the failure. You couldn't admit that everything you'd built had fallen apart and, and your image as well. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know it was even an option. You know, I'm just, walking through each moment. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to ask my family for help with my business stuff anyways, you know, because you did this on your own. And yeah, it's like you I were did saying, they didn't yeah. really meddle with your life. You just had yeah. a Domino's guy delivered a pizza on the, on the second floor. Yeah. Yeah. I just figure things out. And um, so I, you know, uh, sitting there and I have candles lit. And so I tell people the way you know this story is true is the following. I know that if you take scented candles and light them for light and sleep, you are in big trouble because you will wake up with soot all over your face. Like you should not do that. You should not have scented candles lit that are like decorative, nice things uh, for light and use them. And they that black smoke that comes off of them when you, when you start them, like that's like the soot. And so I woke up um, in the middle of the looking night. Looking like a coal miner. Looking like a coal miner, man. And so I was like, I was like, all right, tomorrow's the day. <laughs> so I woke up, 
got in my car. I was watching my gas tank. I had just enough gas, like get up there to my parents' house, you know, put that $7 in. And uh, I told them, I was like, hey, this is what happened. And they were, they were pretty shocked. They were like, wow, you know, because you can keep up appearances pretty well, like for a while there, right? And so I, I asked them to invest in the next project I want to do. And I'd never asked my parents to invest before. Um, I've actually never taken money from them ever to, to this day. I've never taken money from my parents. And so I said, hey, I need you to invest. And they said, no but <laughs> we'll give you all the food in our freezer and you can take that home. And tomorrow you can go talk to Robert, who- <laughs> The financial guy. The financial guy, because uh, he happened to be their financial advisor. He goes, you can talk to Robert. And if you have a good enough, solid enough business, because she was a doctor and my stepmom and my dad. And she's like, if you have a good enough business that Robert would invest, then, then we'll invest. And so I said, okay. And so I, I went to Robert the next day and I said, uh, yeah, I met him. He was so nice. And I describe him as like an angel from heaven because this guy was like, he treated me as if I had just had the exit, you know? And he knew the whole story and everything too. My parents told him. And, and he was just so, so kind. And he said, here's what I want to do. He goes, we're not going to invest in your your project. At the time, it was like some other real estate thing I wanted to do. He's like, we're not going to invest in that. And and good job that we didn't, right? And uh, he goes, I want to build a financial software with you. I said, okay. Um, and he goes, I want to make you um, co-founder and 50% partner. And I want to pay you a, a nice salary. Um, go calculate in a spreadsheet how much money you need. And then we'll give you like a little bit more than that. So you can have your bills and everything paid and, and figure out how to you know get your life back in, back in order. Uh, it was like sixty to eighty thousand dollars, something like that, a year. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? Wow! I, I don't know. I definitely didn't deserve that, but it happened." And I was very, very grateful. And over the course of three years, Robert and I built software together. And the idea was that we would build it and then sell it to other financial advisors. And the watching Robert was easily one of the most beneficial experiences of my entire life. And because what I got to do is I got to see somebody who was incredibly bright. Uh, he was an Air Force pilot that had flown in active duty, like fought in war. I think it was like Desert Storm or something. Really sharp guy, very disciplined and had, had his practice. And I think he had like 10 or something people when I started working with him and really good with numbers. He had a degree of like mathematics and everything. And so he was really smart with numbers. And so he had the street cred, but he was also an amazing salesperson. And so I got to watch this person who had both technical capabilities in numbers and sales abilities. And I got to watch how he would present things to people and he would try and experiment. And I got to watch him run his business for three years. So I watched him, I learned sales from Robert. We build this financial software company. And after three years, he grew from one office to like four offices. He, business really grew fast. And it was like maybe 5% due to the software. Like the software made it more, the software allowed him to take a position that he would have to pay like 150 grand for a year and have like one of those people instead of 10 of those people. So it just made this process that he was using at his company like way more streamlined. Uh, so it, it was useful. And he said, uh, I was like, we, we got it. We're good. You know, like we're using it. It's great. Now's the time. It was, it was a mature software at the point in time because we had run hundreds, millions of dollars of financial planning through it. And so it was, it was strong. And 
I could tell he was dragging his feet for like the last year. And I was like, I don't know why he's dragging his feet. So finally I was like, hey, Robert, like, why are we not selling this to other people now? And he's like, I don't want to sell it to other people. <laughs> he's like, it's really good. He goes, it really <laughs> helps the business. He goes, I just don't want my competitors to have it. So all the work that you put in and you yeah. own 50% of the company. Yeah. So I was like, you know, he offered to buy it from me, like buy my equity out. I was really grateful and I owe Robert everything, like so much to this day. And so I, I was super grateful and I said, you know, great, thank you, how much? I just took whatever he offered me and um, it was enough to, to go fund and start the next business, which uh, was the podcast. Uh, and the podcast grew pretty quickly over two years and then it became the top leadership tech podcast in the world. And then- How did you have the idea to start a tech podcast? Oh yeah. So I had wanted to write a book for a while about building technology teams, not about like entrepreneurship or anything like that. Just like, hey, I made a bunch of mistakes. I hired people. I built my first teams. I made these idiotic mistakes and like, just don't make them. Like, here you go, people. Um, and I had been helping some, uh, like talking to other engineers and stuff in the area, like geographically close about, you know, my experience. A lot of people would say, oh, go talk to Joel. He, he did something like this with growing teams of engineers. And so I just noticed I just kept saying the same stories over and over. And Eventually it went from like being cool to like, all right, I just need to write this stuff down so I can give it to people when they have these questions so I don't have to have the same conversation a hundred times. So I was trying to get this book done and probably like for a year, year and a half, and it just wasn't happening. Like I just didn't have sufficient motivation. Uh, then my mom called, my brother's a doctor at this point in time. Uh, so uh, my mom called and my brother called and they're like, hey, you know, mom's having like a weird stomach ache. So she's going to go to the hospital. Like, can you help with A, B or C? Right. And I was like, okay, cool. And so um, I was helping out and she was in the hospital for like two weeks and they, they finally figured out that it was uh, leukemia. And they said, but it's not like aggressive. You know, she'll be able to have, uh, you know, go up to the Moffitt Cancer Center and they'll be able to treat her. And like, she should have a pretty, they, they didn't, they, they painted a pretty bright picture. I was like, cool, you know, it's exactly what I would have done. Honestly, I think that's the, the only disposition to have of going into a difficult situation is a bright, bright perspective. And so, you know, six weeks later, uh, we're in the hospital holding her hand as she, you know, takes her last breaths. And that was really, really tough. And I could tell that there was a big difference, um, between how my brother and sister handled it and I handled it. Uh, I don't know why. It's just, I, I was just okay, you know, with it. And they were crying and everything and I was sort of like supporting them. Uh, I definitely cried like a little girl later, right? But like in that moment, it was just like, there, this role needs to be played. Like the stable person, the strong person, need, it just, it just kind of happened. Like, and I, and I was like, I just didn't feel like, incredibly emotional at that point. It was just like, I need to, I felt more of a desire to be there for my brother. Like I was more focused on being there for my brother and sister than I was on the fact that my mom was like dying in front of us, you know? And so, um, so that happened. And then I woke up, you know, the next day and uh, I was just like, dude, I got to try. I got to like really, really, really try. And um also in there, there was some some day where I was uh, frustrated about not getting results that I wanted. And I heard this quote from this guy that like will stick with me to the last breath I take. And 
He said, uh, the most frustrating thing in the world is expecting above average results without being an above average person. And when I heard that, it was like mic drop. I was like, that's my problem. Like I, I've had all these great things sort of like come across and like I kind of participated in them, but I wasn't being great. I was just kind of like, you know, handling each situation as it came. I wasn't like intentionally trying, you know? And so I said, I'm going to start trying. Like I'm re- like, life is finite. I just saw it. Like you can tell somebody all day about how finite life is. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Watch one of your, pa- like let one of your parents go in front of you. That That is just, it's a different, it's a different experience that there's no other way to experience it. And so I was just like, I have to start trying. And so I woke up the next day and, uh, you know, I found like the Tony Robbins type stuff and and life type stuff and and started, you know, putting posters up all over my walls and, uh, ripped my TV out. And, you know, my wife at the time was like, not that happy. <laughs> my girlfriend, she was my girlfriend at the time, got rid of the TV, wrote all these like things on paper and scanned them and copied them and pasted them up all over the house and on my mirrors and like, you know, everything. And, you know, like, don't quit and like, keep going and like things like that. And then I, I just um, started on that book and got that book done in a couple months. And then I wanted to release that, uh, but I didn't want to get like yelled at, you know, on Amazon. And so I said, which of course you always still get yelled at on Amazon, but, <laughs> uh, but I, I started talking to other technology leaders that had experienced what I had experienced and just sort of checked things with them that were in the book and discussed some of the topics. And these were just phone calls and, and basic things like that. And then ultimately it turned into the concept of this podcast because people were doing podcasts at the time. And uh, so I said, okay, cool. Um, let's do it as a podcast. And then, you know, day one, there's like three people listening and two of my, you know, my, my iPad, my iPhone and my wife, <laughs> right? That's like day one. It's like, all right, cool. Uh, you know, we go for a couple months. I, I start going crazy with it, right? Like I am full on Tony Robbins type, Tim Ferriss type deal. And uh, so I'm doing six episodes a day. I'm losing my voice. All of this happened while my first kid came into our life. We bought a house down the street, the same exact house, same exact floor plan, same exact floor plan, except for it was completely mirrored to the house that had gotten foreclosed on. It was sort of like my, you know, comeback moment, <laughs> I guess. Um, and so I was, I was very excited about that. It was in the same neighborhood, just like a street or two down. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I just go crazy working on it. And um, well, it sounds like if you're doing six podcasts a day yeah, and, and you're putting them out in that cadence. Uh, we were putting them out as fast. So I took some of that money, um, that I had gotten from the financial software. And I hired, I, I rented an office, a very small office, like 600 square feet or something, and hired a producer who didn't know how to be a producer. Like, and I knew that too. It was like a friend of a friend and it was, it was pretty cool. And he's like, I want to. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, here's a test. And I, I gave three people a different, three people a test and he came back and he did the best job. And I was like, this guy can learn. Once I found out he could learn, I was like, we'll be fine. If he's hungry and he can learn, then we're good. So we, we start, he's editing and sending them out as quickly as possible. My wife approaches me and she goes, you, you have to cut, da- cut back the podcast. And because keep in mind, I'm not making any money right now. I'm just burning through savings, right? So it's like, hmm, where have I seen this before? <laughs> but now I have a wife and a kid at home, right? Oh, wow. And so okay. um, I, we like 
you know, I sort of agreed on like what the floor would be as far as like savings and what we're going to be doing. And um, so, you know, we're going through, you know, year, uh, well, so like first couple months of doing several a day, five, six a day and putting them out as quickly as possible, talking to whoever would talk to me, right? Just sending mass email out at night, doing calls the next day and just chaining them back to back, uh, taking the best ones, putting them to the front of the queue and, and rocking and rolling. And then about six months into that, so I ended up toning it back to like three a day, two, two or three a day immediately because I was losing my voice and I'd come home and my wife would say, look, we can't have a marriage if you can't speak to me. And I said, baby, don't worry. I'll learn sign language. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I was, I was drinking the punch, man. I was, I was full on, you know, just grinding as hard as I could. And so I, uh, I, I, I toned it back and then six months or so go by steady growth of podcast listeners. It's going, doing everything I could possibly do. And then I get a call. And I can't remember, I got, a, I got two calls within like a week and I can't remember exactly which ones they were, but it was something along the lines of there was the, the CTO of uh, Microsoft and the CIO of uh, T-Mobile. And one had listened to the show and wanted to come on and one like it was through a PR relationship. I get them mixed up all the time. So bottom line is these two big people were going to come on the show. And I was like, whew, you know, I, I was so pumped. I was so excited. And so I did the shows and then they aired and then we got a huge pop and, you know, Microsoft tweeted like out through Microsoft's handle and I, it was hilarious. And it was funny because I had my, my, my wife's sister come over and take like photos, you know, cause she's a photographer to use for the podcast and stuff. And so she had like staged it and everything. And apparently the microphone wasn't plugged in and that's the photo that Microsoft used to promote the episode. <laughs> And it, we just got flamed in the comments. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, there's not, that's not plugged in. That's so staged. It's fake and everything. I was like, that's just the stock photo we're using to like, anyways. So that, that was fun. But uh, so then it got popular. And then we, that sort of was the switch of me every night sending out 200 emails, just anybody who would come on to talk about topics and things like that related to tech leaders um, to people starting to reach out like, hey, can so-and-so come on your show? And I was like, well, this is great. That went on for a while. We found out we could start licensing the content to leadership development training programs. And so we started doing that and we started making money. And then started making you know pretty good money too because we built some leadership software to help like distribute the content and then people were paying for that software. And, and you know, one day one of my past guest had talked to me, his name is Ben. And he said, Hey, I, I heard like the CTO of NASA give this advice on your show. He goes, I got, you know, 50 leaders across the globe. He had like a 300 person company and is very pretty dispersed. He said, can you take like the three minute chunk of him giving that advice and turn it into a leadership challenge? Cause you know, the cold water challenges were popular at that time. Right. You know, on, they're all going viral. So he's like, can you turn it into a leadership challenge? And then I'm going to send it to all my leaders because they're all in different time zones. They're going to do the challenge and then get back to me. I was like, well, how much will you pay for that? And he goes, well, my leadership training budget every year is $50,000. I said, so if I build this for you, will you sign a contract for $50,000? He goes, yeah. I sent him a contract. He signed it. I stayed up for a weekend, like like several days. Like I was up as many moments as possible. I called my wife and I said, you won't believe this. I said, I love you, but I'm going to disappear for like four days. And, and I just like- This, is, this yeah. is an amazing woman because she was with you during the time of the mm -hmm. scented candles, the coal miners days. And, right at that. That's and, when I met her is okay. that- Just that for time. her to stick with you at that point. That's the keeper. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, so she didn't know. I hid that pretty well from her. Um, she didn't know about all of that. So she met me right after uh, Robert gave me the opportunity. Uh, oh, okay. And then I had like, so I got my power back on. So I met her like shortly after Robert did that. And I kind of got my footing a little bit, but we're talking like, we're down to like the weeks. So like I got my power on and then like two weeks later, like I meet her. Right. And so, you know, she obviously, as we're dating and stuff, sees all this happen because I have to leave the house because my foreclosed, my house foreclosed, you know, I ultimately didn't have enough cash to like save it because they wanted like, you know, a lot of back stuff. And, and actually I had a positive equity in it. So I did like a short sale thing or whatever, but, um, it, it all worked out whatever the foreclosure attorney did because ultimately like I got a a $7,000 check. So I was like, all right, my, you know, okay, cool. So then I went and rented like a two bedroom apartment, bought a $5,000 Ford Focus cash. So not, not trying to do the debt thing again. And I, I basically started over. I had like a 500 credit score. I mean, today it's 803. Like, so then 803. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And um, it's funny when you get a high credit score you and you do your finances right, you end up not needing credit really. <laughs> but, but I, um, uh, there's an observation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we kind of bring it to the present, yeah. Your family's growing, your kids are going to start to come. Yep. And then some other challenges yeah. are going to come your way. Yeah, after we got off our, our call, I thought about one that was, it wasn't one big moment. It was one moment that happened several times. So I talked to my wife. We have very distinct memory of more than a handful of times of standing in our kitchen at that, at that house, like, you know, the house we bought with our kid and everything like that, and discussing whether or not I'm going to walk into work the next day and let everybody go and shut it down. Why shut it down? Is this early on? Sorry, when? this was this was before the. Um, well, look, it happened a couple times before the leadership software, and then happened a couple times after the leadership software. Um, but one thing that really helped too is when the leadership software started to grow. I got like two or three clients, and you know, got some recurring revenue going. And then I talked to this. I met this guy named Mark, and he was at uh, the largest venture cap. What is now the largest venture capital company in Florida? Um, they were like more startupy when I when I met them five years ago. But I showed him what I did, and I was like, "What do I do?" And he's like, "Well, we you know we can raise some money." And ultimately, after a lot of conversations, uh, seven or eight months or whatnot, I ended up getting half a million dollars. Now, here's what happened: so I'm not making enough money to do the business and pay the bill. Like it's you know when you run a business and you have payroll and stuff, like things can get real. You're bank fluctuates a lot, right? And so I'm at this weird point where they've agreed to give me half a million dollars, but I'm going to be broke in a week. And by the way, that that ceiling we agreed to, me and my wife, yeah, we went to zero again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, man. I'm sorry. I just can't. Like, I just, I have to go. I have to go for it. Like, I mean... It was that or go back to like a job. And I'm like, I was like, I cannot go back to like starting over. Like I have something here. I love the podcast. I love what I'm doing. We found something. We just have to get to where we're going. And so I called Robert Harwood. <laughs> Robert, man. I, I said, Robert. To the rescue. He's like, hey, you know, let's let's go meet up at Starbucks. We live like an hour from each other. So I, I went and met him at Starbucks. Uh, he's like, how are things going? He's he's been listening to the podcast. He like he had a radio show too, so he was like pretty impressed that like I went and started that podcast, and he had saw that like what we had done and like the different 
big names we've had on it. And he, he sort of like watched that grow over, you know, two years or so. And uh, he goes, he's telling me about like the new airplanes he had bought or whatever, which is so cool. He's like, hey, I got a new jet and I got one for my daughter too. And she's just learning how to drive, but also fly. <laughs> I was like, Robert, you're the coolest person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> and he's such a humble, sweet guy too, the way he describes everything. So uh, I said, look, here's the deal. I said, Florida Funders, and he knew the guys over at Florida Funders because he connected, we had mutual connections there. And so we knew I was talking to Florida Funders. Florida Funders said, we will give you the half a million dollars if you can convince Robert Harwood to cover your your gap between now and when we can actually close the round, which was like three months or something. So I needed 50 grand. And I said, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) I love this guy. I said, here's the situation that Florida funders, they're going to do it. And he's like, yeah. And he, he, he talked to to Mark on the phone and stuff. So like he knew that they were going to do it. Um, And I said, but here, here's my, you know, P and L and, and he goes, you need something. I said, yeah. Cause he didn't even look at whatever I had with me. He goes, he goes, what do you need? How much do you need? And I just kind of like, was like, I need like 50 grand. And he goes, okay. <laughs> I love Robert. And man. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I want, you know, this, you know, standard prime and like whatever, like a standard nice interest rate plus prime or whatever it was. It was completely like, a, it, was a, it was a nice deal, you know? And I said, okay. And he's like, yeah. He's like, call, you know, Tara, his person I work with. He's like, you know, call her, you know, Monday and then she'll figure everything out. And then at the end of that week, he writes the check. I, I make payroll with my team and uh, the, the $500,000 comes in and we start rocking and rolling and we grew, grew that business and then COVID hits and we lose 90% of our revenue in one week because every leadership training program in the world got cut in COVID. Oh man. Because every CEO looked at their PL and said, what don't we need? And leadership right. training was like the easiest thing to cross off the list, you know? And so they, they cut leadership training, they cut HR departments in half. They, they did a lot of cutting like immediately because you remember that f- those first days when we didn't know if it was like actually like a legit zombie virus or like the flu, you know, there was right. a lot of fear in the marketplace, you know? And so uh, I sat there with my team and I was like, okay, I think we had like six people, five or six people at the time. And I was like, all right, well, we were on the right track. I had a parade of phone calls calling my personal phone. Hey, sorry, dude, we can't pay you. We just, I know we signed the contract. We just can't pay you. Like, hey, we need to cancel the contract. Hey, this, hey, that. Some people ask like, hey, can I get my money back? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, it's, if it was there, I'm, I'd gladly give you your money back, but it's it's not. Only one person asked for that. And and actually they, they were completely happy with like an extra, like I gave them a credit, like an extra year of the software or whatever. But so that all happened. And I said, I asked the six people, I said, how do we structure the business so that we're not something that gets cut in the next downturn? Oh, by the way, at this point, the podcast is super popular. We're booked up six months in advance and it's like doing great. We're not making any money off of the podcast itself because we were making money off the leadership stuff. So we said, hey, let's just put a sponsorship package together. And luckily all the conferences were canceled. So, you know, some people had extra budget and things like that. And in their marketing and marketing is like one of the last things to get cut because it directly correlates to revenue. And so I said, let's build the business around the marketing budget. And we said, okay. So we said goodbye to half the team uh, who was, you know, real cool about it. We had like really good relationships and, and they, I didn't even have to let them go. They're like, Hey, this is like really clear. I've got another opportunity over here anyways. Like, 
it, it just kind of all flowed together. It, it didn't have to be like a big negative, sad thing. Cause it was, we're talking six people here. Right. And, and we only said goodbye to like three. So the other three of us are sitting there and we're like, all right, well, we end up selling like 30, 40 grand of sponsorship in the first month, just by talking to people who had asked to sponsor, but we had told them, no, we don't do that. Then we did about 600 grand the first year and then a million the next year. And then three years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it, it's, it started happening for us and then it was, you know, rolling that money back into, into the show. And, and then we end up trying to figure out how we grow past a million dollars a year because there's only so many sponsored episodes we can do. So we started calling our past sponsors and we said, Hey, what else could we do? And they said, said, so, well, you know, the experience going on your show is just so great. Like we go on a lot of shows, we sponsor a lot of events and different shows and things. And yours is like world-class. And that's just because like, I don't know, I have a, I have a, a an unreasonable standard, right? So I, I said, um, they, they said, can, can you make us a podcast? We want to have a podcast. We've been talking about one. And when we go on yours, it's such a great experience. We want the guest we invite on our podcast to have the same experience we have paying and going on yours. I was like, okay. Yeah, uh, let me talk to my, my producer. And so we're like, okay, cool. We can we can do that as long as we do it like we do our show because all of our processes, we, I mean, at this point, we're four or 500 episodes in, five, like we know how to do a show, right? Like it's, there's people have come and gone. The, the roles are really clearly defined. Everything's like, you know, rinse and repeat. And so we said, if we do it like that and we follow that process and we just put another show through that process, then we can do it. And they said, okay, cool. And so... Uh, you know, we got our first couple contracts and in 11 months, we went from zero to about like 800,000 a year in recurring revenue. Oh man, I love this. I love this. Yeah, it's about to outpace uh, in the next month or two here. It's going to outpace the sponsorship revenue. And yeah, and I just continuing to wake up every day and just take thing after thing after thing, you know, d just handle it. I, I don't really see it as like a big thing that I'm doing. Uh -huh. Very special. I just am like, okay, this is what's in front of me and I have to make a decision and then, then I'll make another decision and then I'll make another, and then I'll, and then I'm wrong half the time, by the way. So like, <laughs> I'm pretty comfortable with that. I tell my team all the time, like, please disagree with me. Like, like obviously in a professional way, but I'm like, you know, if you see something that is a greater logical argument than the thing I am presenting it is your job literally to raise your hand and, and point it out. Cause I, I can't see everything, you know? So I'm pretty good about that. Well, this has been highly uplifting for me, <laughs> listening to you on, on the adventures and just seeing how any time there's just a car that comes around the corner and knocks you down, you just figure out a better way to live. Yeah. I mean, so many people get defeated. So many people feel like victims. Your philosophy is something that as we approach the new year, I'm hoping that everybody can take a piece of, put it in their pocket and use it when necessary because, you know, we may be headed into a recession. Who knows? It may be just the time to use everything you've just talked about, Joel. I'm yeah. very, very grateful that's the call we had this morning and we had an all hands with our team. And I said, we are going to act today like it's a recession because best case, we're super profitable Q1. Worst case, we did all we could do from the moment we could predict it. And so 
I was like, we just need a mind shift of a lot of liquidity being in the market to we're going to have to, instead of sit back and just, you know, cash and checks, we're going to have to put some elbow grease into it and just make that mind shift. I was like, there's no specific task I'm giving you. I'm just, you just need to, in your head, just understand that that's the shift that's going to happen and, and make that. All right. I'll put a little elbow grease yeah. into my work <laughs> tomorrow. I'm going to take your advice. It's been so beautiful to get to know you and to hear about your journey because it's just inspiring for anybody who is going through ups and downs or anybody who's in the middle and kind of gets knocked off balance. This, this idea of seeing it through the bright side and seeing it as a possibility, it's a great way to enter 2023. So grateful for this conversation. So grateful to know you. I hope there will be many, many, many more conversations to come. Thank you so much, Cal. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.